Welcome to Breakfast for Dinner with Sarah the Human. I'm Sarah the Human, and I am currently sitting in my tiny little closet slash studio, and it is way more packed than usual. I had it cleared out for a while where it was just my little table that had my microphone on it and my laptop to record my episodes. But today I have I have a bunch of dog equipment, including a dog bed and a dog uh, kennel, like fence thing. It's not quite a kennel, it's a fence that's open, but really tall, so I can't hop over. Because Bo and I are getting a puppy. I should say Bo waffles and me. Us three are getting a puppy because she will be a crucial part of this process. I mean, we've already looked up a ton of YouTube videos on how to integrate them and how to keep waffles feeling like she's still the queen of the house. Anyway, yeah, we are getting a dog and it'll be an Australian Labradoodle. We are so excited. The reason I am telling you all this is because it is highly related to today's episode. I chat with my dear friend, M. Wang. Emily Wang, who is a photographer, videographer, and self-proclaimed dog lover. She has three dogs, Chibi, Kokoro, and Kibo, and she actually trains Kibo for competitions and competitive sports, so it was really cool to learn about how she trains him. She told me about bite work and nose work, which I had never even heard of before. It's pretty fascinating. This conversation just makes me so happy. I really wanted to interview Emily because she's just another inspirational human on this planet who is unapologetically herself by how she lives her life. Her life is totally geared around her dogs, and you will understand why, because these dogs are so freaking cute. I used to work with Emily, and we had one of those office Halloween parties, and she dressed up as Russell from Up, and Kokoro was the house from Up, and she attached all these balloons to the house which was on Kokoro's back. It was just the cutest thing ever. I'll see if I can find a photo of it. Emily is also a big fan of electronic dance music. She shares how EDM really helped her break out of her shell and grow in confidence, which is so cool. Music rocks. I love music. Oh, I've been wanting to mention on one of these intros to please rate this podcast, um, especially if you are enjoying it. Um, please rate it on Spotify or Apple Podcasts, wherever you listen to it. Um, and then even better, if you want to leave a review, that would be amazing. Please enjoy M. Wang. That's probably my worst nightmare. It's like we have this amazing conversation and then nothing's recorded. So <laughs> I'm always like premature about the record. I'm like, hi, and record. <laughs> <laughs> um, I just want to talk all about you and your dogs. So you have three dogs, Chibi, Kogro, and Kibo. Is that how you pronounce Kibo? Yeah. Yeah, you got all of them. <laughs> how did you name all of them? Like, what do their names mean and everything? Um, well, they all have Japanese names, so they're all Japanese words. My husband is Japanese, and it's, it's funny because Kokoro is our first dog, and I actually had named her something else before. Her name was really? Kokoro. Yeah, I wanted to name her Koda, K-O-D-A, kind of like um, the polar bear because <laughs> yes. she's a really fluffy dog. Um, but I think like a week or two into us having her, 
my husband decided to rename her because he felt like the name was too common. Like he really wanted to have um, a unique name for our dogs. And so he went with Kokoro, which means soul or heart in Japanese. Um, and it sounds similar to Koda, right? Like the dog was already learning um, her name. So we ended up with Kokoro. Then when we got Chibi, we wanted to stay with the theme of uh, Japanese names. And Chibi means, Chibi is like a word to describe an art style in Japanese culture. It's kind of like cute, um, like the characters when they're drawn in Chibi style have like really big heads. And <laughs> it's like a very like cute, short little thing. And um, Chibi itself means like short little one. So. <laughs> It was perfect for her because she's a corgi with short legs. Um, she's the cutest corgi. <laughs> and then Kibo, again, following the theme of the Japanese names, his name means hope. Um, so we just had a lot of big hopes and dreams for him in terms of doing sports and competing together. So that's how they got their names. That's so perfect. Okay, I want to get to Kokoro and Chibi next but that kind of leads me into my question about Kivo so when you got him were you like planning on uh training him for competitions or did it just kind of happen organically yeah I think when we got him um the plan was to get a show prospect dog and do some sports with him so we had dabbled in sports with Kokoro and Chidi um but they're kind of like they're like cute, happy little dogs that um, the types of breeds that they are, are just, you know, Kokoro is a companion dog, so she just wants to chill and be around you. And Chibi has some like orthopedic problems, so she couldn't really do that many sports. So with Kibo, I was like, I want a dog that I can do sports with. I wanted to try showing um, confirmation dog shows. So I, that's why we wanted to, uh, ended up going with him. Did he kind of meet your expectation of um, athletic ability and everything you had in mind? Yeah, I think that I went with a breeder that um, based on the, the parents of his litter, like I knew that he was going to be able to have the ability and drives to do these sports. Um, so yeah, like he comes from lines where the dogs have done sports, where they've done shows in the past. So the likelihood of him being able to do it is higher than if I just like find a random dog off the street. <laughs> totally. Yeah. I love seeing your videos because don't you like take all your dogs to go meet and hang out with Kibo's family, like Kibo's cousins and brothers and sisters or something? <laughs> we have, so his breeder's in Oregon. And so when we do road trips and we pass by there, because we visit family in Seattle a lot, we'll stop by and she's got a bunch of dogs there. And if there's puppies, I always want to stop by and play with the puppies. Um, so it's nice to have like a good relationship with her and get to see all the other dogs that are related to him and see how the personalities are similar and things like that. They all look alike. Like they definitely look like a ton of different Kivos running around. <laughs> You'll do little polls on Instagram. Like, is this Kivo or is this Kivo? And I'm always like, oh shoot, I really don't know. <laughs> <laughs> it's hard to tell because they, they look so like, and that's something that happens with, if you go with a breeder that has been breeding for a while and they're very knowledgeable about lines and showing and type you end up with a lot of dogs that look very very similar and it's kind of a good thing for the show ring <laughs> yeah because he's so beautiful and just very majestic looking um, <laughs> sometimes sometimes he is <laughs> yeah I mean he has like a little like 
you know, I don't want to say dorky, but yeah, like a little goofball, yeah, a little goofball, <laughs> goofball yeah. side. But then he probably just turns it on for the shows. How many um, competitions has Kivo been in, and has he won any awards? So he's been in a lot of shows and trials. Um, our first focus for him when he was a puppy was dog shows, so confirmation. So he um, he's now grand champion, awesome. <laughs> which is great. Um, what does that mean? Like, what did he accomplish? Think about like, you know, the National Dog Show or Westminster that you might see on television. That's what it's like. They don't have to do very much. Okay. They just like um, walk around in a circle. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> like a pageant then, show. Exactly. It's like, it's like a pageant. So if they're, if they're determined by the judge to be like the nicest white Swiss shepherd or whatever dog it is, then they win and they get points. And you need to accumulate a certain number of points to be deemed a show champion. And then the grand champion is the next level up higher. So he has to be a certain number of champions for him to become a grand champion. And then he does sports too. So he's competed in nose work, which is essentially um, the dog is, is taught to detect certain odors like birch, anise, and clove. And then they go out into different environments, indoor, outdoor, maybe the odor is inside a container and they have to detect where it is. Whoa. Um, it's kind of like a sport version of like real life bomb detection dogs or um, drug detection dogs, the same type of behavior that you'd be looking for there. How did you train him for that? It's a kind of a long process, but you pretty much any dog can do it because their noses are so good. You just have to teach them how to use their nose and then you use classical conditioning essentially. So you start off with food, you hide, I was using McDonald's chicken nuggets because you want it to be very valuable and fun for the dog. You, that hide, would too. <laughs> you hide the food in various places and you teach them the concept of searching the corner of a room, the threshold of a room, um, maybe searching high level and low level. So different patterns that they might have to see to be able to navigate the odor. And then you um, pair that food with the odor that you're trying to teach them to detect. So with classical conditioning, eventually they smell that odor and they realize, oh, I smell the birch. That means I'm going to get food. I'm going to get rewarded. <laughs> and then the other sports, you know, we're doing bite work. Um, you, you know, agility is one that a lot of dogs often do where they have to go into the ring and run around these obstacles um, with the handler. And then we're doing like obedience and things like that. So Whoa. each show is different. What's the bite work entail? So he is testing out protection sports right now. And essentially the three phases are obedience, tracking, and bite work. So obedience is obviously, you know, healing with the handler and down sits that kind of stuff being in control of the handler and then tracking is a phase where they go out into a field and you lay a track so like i would walk in the pattern on this grass and then he is trained to detect the smell of where i've walked and they have to find specific articles that you leave behind and then bite work is the third phase where there's a helper and they pretend to be the bad guy and then your dog is to bark at the bad guy and then they bite a sleeve um, that the bad guy is wearing and it's meant to simulate the dog protecting the owner on command. No way. So you are just safe and sound with Kivo in your house then. <laughs> I mean, people are just scared of a large barking dog. So all I have to do is teach him to 
more on command, really. <laughs> I feel like you would be very protected with all of your dogs in your house. Well, the little ones, when it was just Kokoro and Gigi, I don't think we were that safe, you know. Really? <laughs> it would be welcoming any robber into our home. <laughs> well, if Kokoro means heart, then she's got a, a soft heart for everybody. <laughs> She'd be yeah. like, hey, robber, come on in. <laughs> yeah, Chibi would be like, belly rubs, welcome. Yeah. You are here. You can come right in. <laughs> yeah. That's great. With um, Chibi and Kokoro, they really stand out with just how well trained they are. It is unbelievable. You're like, um, do this trick, do this trick. And they just immediately do it. And they're just so well behaved and have such like calm demeanors. And they're just the sweetest. So how on earth did you do their puppy training? Because I feel like maybe that's some of that might be natural in them, but I feel like most of it is probably how you train them. <laughs> um, well, thank you. I think that it's part of it is that you've met them now. They're, they're older. Um, and with age, they become more mature and calmer. But I think that with dogs, the coolest thing about owning them is building that relationship with them. And having a really strong relationship with your dog translates into the dog, you know, being well-behaved and calm and being responsive and, and engaged with you. So I think that's probably most of, you know, what it looks like when <laughs> my dogs are um, out and about with me or they're in content or whatever it is. We just spent a lot of time building a relationship with them. So not only is it like just teaching them the basic structure of how to live in the house, um, it's like playing with them and figuring out what things they like. Chibi loves food. Like literally the only thing she lives for is food. So if you can work that into the food coming from you or she has to work with you to get the food, like you're her number one. Um, Kokoro lives for praise. Like she just loves being told she's a good girl and she will do anything for that. <laughs> so yeah, it's, it's, I think it just all comes down to finding out um, what drives your dog. And it's, it's like getting to know a person, right? Like knowing their personality and how to hang out with them. <laughs> totally. I mean, you're totally parenting them. It's like each of them have different personalities and you're catering how you interact with them because they're each different dogs and want different things and are motivated by different things. Because I guess where I'm from, it's pretty popular to um, train a dog by swatting their nose or you know and is it right that you don't do that or do you do that I don't know <laughs> <laughs> no I don't I don't hit my dogs <laughs> <laughs> when you put it like that I'm like that sounds horrible yeah no but I, I know what you're getting at right like yeah. there's different training philosophies yes right? yes when it comes to dog training and it, it old school training used to be more like that very punishment based or you know, if the dog does something you don't like, you introduce some sort of negative um, for them so that they know if you're barking or if they pee inside the house, like you don't want that. Uh, that is really old school. And I think that training, thankfully, and understanding of dog behavior has um, evolved <laughs> since those days. So, um, you know, most of the training that we do now is very positive reinforcement based. So you're showing the dog what you want them to do, um, and then rewarding that you are building their confidence through like things that I said, like you figure out what they like. If the thing is that the dog loves to play tug with you, you utilize that as the reward for what they want. Kibo loves toys. He loves ball. He loves tug. So I'm utilizing playing with him and the relationship of playing with him 
to teach him what I want him to do. It doesn't mean that you don't set boundaries, you know, like you can still teach your dog that if you say no or whatever it is, that indicates to them that's not what I'm looking for. So you can, you still need to set boundaries with dogs. They're like kids, you know, you can't just raise kids by only giving them M&Ms. But, you know, it's, it's the, the training has shifted more towards let's teach them what we do want and reward that and build their confidence and have happy dogs that want to work and live with us versus just shutting them down. That makes me so happy just using the positive reinforcement for motivating them instead of the negative because I do think people are like that too. Like I think it's shifted a little bit maybe in the parenting world or just in a lot of different spaces where the old school belief is that people are motivated by fear, which, you know, it can be a motivator, but the biggest motivator is love and just something positive. I think that's way more impactful. Just pouring love into them and like fostering a relationship with your dogs has so much more of an effect. And it's like creating such a good environment for them to thrive versus feeling scared and fearful. Yeah, exactly. It's very similar to people, honestly. <laughs> yeah. Can you come train my cat? <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. I don't have very much knowledge of cat behavior. And that's, that's a, they have different motivators than I think dogs do. <laughs> yeah. I still don't know. I'm still trying to figure it out. Honestly, <laughs> I think it's possible to train cats. Like I've seen people train cats to use the bathroom in a toilet and drink out of the sink and just all these like funny things but we haven't quite gotten there with waffles she just has a mind of her own and she likes her freedom you know <laughs> yeah 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 so your instagram is absolutely beautiful and stunning everyone should check it out it's mainly photos of your dogs and you with your dogs and every single photo is just curated so perfectly it's minimalist vibe but I don't know. It's just so beautiful. I love it so much. So how do you come up with ideas for content on your Instagram with your dogs? And how do you get them to pose for photo shoots and stuff? Um, I think that I'm always really just looking out for inspiration everywhere. But I think what makes the posts and photos and videos that I share a little bit different from other accounts that feature dogs is that a lot of dog or pet accounts out there just feature like photos here and there that you would take like you and I would take on our iPhones and I think when I got on Instagram I think you know maybe 10 years ago now I didn't really see that many people who were thinking of ways to combine really great photo and video content with their pets um, there were there are great photographers and videographers out there they might be doing lifestyle or landscape or product photography but I didn't really see that crossover into the pet world so that's kind of the space that I wanted to play around in and so through that I've had to train my dogs because I want them to potentially do a specific behavior for an idea that I have for a video and through that then I get to work with my dogs and it's fun for them and they like the training and the engagement with me so it's kind of a win-win situation so yeah I think just Whatever I take in out in the world, if it's other social media or movies or TV shows or art that I see, and I think of an idea that I can then translate to something that might be different that you could see from like me interacting with my dogs, that's really where I get most of my ideas. <laughs> it's so true. I never really thought about how 
you have combined professional photography with photos of your pets because yeah, now that I think about it, a lot of the pet photos that I see on TikTok or Instagram or whatever are, yeah, like little quick snaps from my iPhone or <laughs> from their iPhone um, and not like a professional camera setup. So that is such a niche that you found and kind of were able to own. So you mentioned earlier that you transferred from full-time nine to five, like classic corporate life to being a freelancer full-time. Um, how has that transition been for you? It's been great. I mean, I always throughout most of my career up until I left my full-time job was working a nine to five and then doing the stuff that I liked with my dogs on Instagram, YouTube, TikTok on the side. So it was a lot to have on my plate. Um, before when we just had the two dogs, at least they were, you know, a little bit older and, and more trained and the schedule was a little bit more manageable, but we wanted to get another dog and the amount of time that I spend now with Kibo training, um, and then also having to do the content, it's just, it's just a lot. So I think having the freedom and flexibility of being a freelancer has been really great for me to be able to focus on those other passions and things that I have. Um, and not feel like I'm so overwhelmed with the workload that I have from my nine to five and, you know, the balance of the stuff that I do want to do on the side. Absolutely. Yeah. Did you have any fears making that switch to just go full-time freelance? Was that difficult or were you just so ready that it was easy decision? I think it was definitely difficult. Um, my personality type is very stability seeking. So uh, I'm a six enneagram, which is like, just, I need stability. I like having that consistency of the paycheck and my full-time job. So it was really um, terrifying at first, even though I have always sort of had income on the side and projects on the side. And I had been doing that for many years, but just the shift in my total lifestyle and my entire schedule for work, relying on me solely um, was really scary. But, you know, it ended up being okay, thankfully. <laughs> and I think we were just at a time in the world, too, where a lot of people were looking to have some sort of change like that and um, to feel very, like, self-fulfilling, I think, in the work that I was doing was nice. That's awesome. What would you say to someone who might be wanting to make that switch to work for themselves full-time but are a little bit nervous to do it? I think that as long as you're doing something that you really enjoy doing, and it sounds so cliche, but <laughs> if you're doing something that you really enjoy doing and you are putting your time and your effort into it, um, it's almost, I feel like it's almost impossible to fail because you're doing something that you like, right? You're getting value out of it and you're learning along the way. So if you're trying to start off your own business or go freelance or find some clients that have something to do with something that you're not working at at your nine to five, I would still say like find a way to incorporate it while you have that stability. And then once you get to a point where you feel really confident in your own abilities or you have clients or your schedule allows for it, then, you know, just take the leap and just focus on the stuff that you like doing because um, even if in the end it doesn't work out how you originally envisioned it, you'll still get some value out of it in the end. 
Totally. Yeah. I mean, there's probably always going to be some element of risk and some sort of like leap of faith with it. I love how rewarding it's been for you and just how rewarding it can be overall. Cause yeah, I mean, even if it doesn't turn out exactly right or exactly how someone envisioned it, I'm sure there's so much growth that happens and so many lessons that are learned. And um, okay, I want to talk about one of your passions. That's gosh, EDM is that what it's called? I always call it the wrong thing. Yeah. <laughs> is EDC the festival? Yeah, okay. So electronic dance music. Okay. <laughs> it's the genre of music, and then EDC. It actually is Electric Daisy Carnival, which is one of the festivals that features EDM every year here in the U.S. <laughs> okay, got it. I'm like, there's too many um, acronyms. Which <laughs> like EDM, EDC, wait, which one is it? Um, that makes sense. Electronic dance music, EDM. Yeah, so, um, you know, I know that you've gone to like music festivals and how did you develop a passion for that? Well, I was always really big on music. Um, I actually grew up playing classical piano and ever since I was three years old, I was very quite intense with the um, classical piano playing. I was competing at international competitions in middle school and I was fully planning on going to music school. Um, oh, I college. did not know this. Yeah. Yeah. I was kind of an intense piano player. <laughs> so music has always been a part of my life. Um, I actually ended up going to uh, undergrad for piano performance and something else. And I decided I didn't want to do music school and piano performance. I just didn't feel like that was the route that I wanted to take for my adult life and career. So I switched to um, just doing more like a general <laughs> degree that is now what I'm doing for advertising. But music was always a big part of my life. And then about that time when I was in college, a lot of music festivals um, started getting bigger and bigger, and I was exploring different types of genres of music. I actually never really listened to music outside of classical piano music growing up, so a lot of times people will reference like famous songs and I don't know, <laughs> because I was just like so ingrained in like that one small subset of music. I love how you went from classical to electronic dance music. I mean, they're kind of related in a way. Both of them are not as lyrical based, I would say, but at the same time, they're kind of opposites. Yeah, yeah, it's, it's, it's funny. It's like, you know, when you're in something for so long in your life and you want to change, it's almost natural often to go like to the opposite end of the spectrum. Um, yes. Yeah, but then, you know, the, part of the culture of um, electronic music, you know, the dance part of it is really fun. I feel like I was always a very reserved kid, and I remember going to parties and things like that and, like, not feeling comfortable dancing, and going to festivals and, like, dancing with your friends, that was just such a nice opportunity to grow in that, in my own confidence and have a great time with my friends in a different environment that I would normally be in, so... I think that's what was really appealing about it. Totally. Yeah, that makes sense. I mean, everyone around you is is just letting loose and it's hard to be self-conscious in an environment like that when almost everyone you're around is just having a great time, just dancing, like yeah. looking silly and not caring at all, just enjoying it. I love music festivals. It's cool because everyone is kind of coming together for a common purpose and common interest and they have like this shared love for whatever artist is playing and the type of music so 
it's really unifying. It's quite an experience to be, you know, at a big stage and there's fireworks going off and there's tens of thousands of people and you're all listening to the same music that you love and you're all sort of sharing this experience with a bunch of people that you don't know, but it's all a good time. Like it's all good vibes. It's very special, I think, to just like people, like humans as a species. It's really quite incredible. <laughs> For sure. It is. Yeah. And I also am just obsessed with like the makeup and <laughs> the, the glam and the outfits are so much fun. It's like a cool excuse to just wear something that we'd never wear just yeah. in regular life. Yeah. it's. I think that's what's really cool about EDC specifically that it's there. It's all about, you know, just expressing yourself and you can go all out for the few days that you're there and do the makeup or wear the clothes or whatever it may be that you normally wouldn't in this society that we live in. So I always dye my hair. I did pink this year and I did purple last year. And like, you know, people have pink and purple hair out there, but I'm not the type of person to just have like rainbow colored hair every day when I'm going into the workplace. So it's fun to be able to go all out for those few days. <laughs> yes, it's so neat to have that comfortable environment to do that because I love just kind of dressing scandalous <laughs> I don't know I just really enjoy it that's how you feel good right yeah exactly so I love summertime I can just wear a bikini and it's totally fine but you know I'm not gonna wear a bikini to the grocery store so <laughs> it's like, <laughs> it's it does make a difference what environment you're in because I love the idea of just having this weekend where everyone can kind of like let their true selves shine and like express themselves and it's good to have an outlet like that yeah yeah I think just a, a little getaway from the constraints of society that we all live in you know on a day-to-day -day basis 100 percent. yeah do you have a, a moment or a story from one of the music festivals that you've been to that sticks out as your favorite um, you know, I think the coolest part of going to these festivals year to year, so I've gone to EDC a few times now, is seeing how um, they speak about what's happening in culture. Or artists will incorporate what's happening in the world into their sets, which is kind of cool, because you get to be there for that part of time, right? Um, so I think like one of the most epic, I guess, moments. Um, in 2015, I went to EDC and I was seeing Above and Beyond set and they brought out Brian Cranston who plays Walter White from Breaking Bad. No way. Yeah, and they had him drop a remix of the Breaking Bad theme song. In so that was pretty cool epic. You know, when you're there, Breaking Bad was huge, right? Like it had just ended the series, um, maybe, I think like a year prior. And seeing him come out and he literally said, say my name and he dropped the song. Like, it was just so cool. What? <laughs> okay, that just gave me chills. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and then there's like other, other examples. I think uh, last year, was it 2021? Zed opened with a remix of Red Light, Green Light from Squid Games. It was a month after oh. Squid So it's just cool to be there and experience in person, like, that little chapter of time <laughs> that's so neat Breaking Bad was so popular where it's like literally everyone watched that show and with Squid Games too like everyone's gonna freak out because we've all had this same reaction to the show where it just 
struck a, a nerve in a good way of like, wow, that was really epic. So yeah. Awesome. Yeah. Well, thank you so much for just opening up about your dogs and your interests. It was so good to talk to you. Yeah. Thanks for having me on here. It was nice to chat with you too. We'll have to get together in person. I know. I know. And we can play um, Catan or Catan. I don't know how to say. Is it Catan? I don't know. I always say Catan, which I still have the um, expansion pack that you got us. So. Oh yeah, is it Seafarers? Was it Seafarers? I think you got me the Knights one. Oh yeah, Cities and Knights. Yeah, Cities and Knights. Okay. Oh wait, you know what? I think it was we got you Seafarers, but you already had Seafarers. Oh. <laughs> so then, so, because we like brought it for you. We're like, this is your wedding present, and yeah. you're like, you, your face said it all. <laughs> and we we're like, wait, do you already have this? You're like, yeah. <laughs> Yes, you know what? I think that's what happened. <laughs> but then I was like, okay, no, no, no. I'm going to get you the other one that you don't have. So <laughs> <laughs> it was still appreciated either way. And we, we've only played, did we only play one time? I think so. So that needs to change. Yeah, we'll need to, we'll need to get together again. Yeah, we had pho and played. So that needs yes. to be a recurring thing. Yeah. <laughs> pho yeah. and Catan or Catan, however you say it. <laughs> <laughs> Yes. Okay, well, thank you again.